called us a hey. I thought you were starting. Oh. <laughs> hey, this is Shelby. And this is Courtney. And thanks for joining us today on All Things Macabre. Here on All Things Macabre, we discuss all the things under the topic of odd, weird, true crime, supernatural, and fiction. This podcast contains language and content that is not suitable for all listeners, so listener discretion is advised. If you find a topic we are discussing interesting, we encourage you to do some research on your own. You never know what you may learn. We are just a couple of old friends telling each other stories that we find interesting. And hoping that you'll enjoy and laugh along with us. Through some stories that are weird, true, or fictional that will just make you say, what the fuck? And now, for the fun part. How are you today? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm a lot better than what I was. That's good. You sound a little better. <laughs> I feel a lot better. After we recorded last time, I felt like I was on my deathbed after that. Anyway, I haven't seen you in how many weeks now? About two. I was going to try to see you for Thanksgiving, but that didn't work out. I was tired. We just went home. Same. I, all I wanted to do, I mean, after I everything. did talk to you, though. I found out, I asked you about the turkeys being pardoned, and uh-huh. you told me that there was two last year and this year. Yes. And this year, it was chocolate and chip. Yes. And last year, it was peanut butter and jelly. Yes. <laughs> so, they get to live on a turkey farm, you said? Yes, in North Carolina. <laughs> was it? It's Riley. Riley, North Carolina. Riley. At, uh, I think it's Carolina State University. Oh, that's cool. Or North Carolina State University, something. That's cool. But yeah, they get to live out their days at the university. Well, good for those turkeys. Wherever they are at the university. But Good for those turkeys. I think it's cute how they both have, like, food names and they compliment <laughs> each other. They do. Chocolate and chip and peanut butter and jelly. That's interesting. <laughs> well, lucky for them, they got pardoned together. They're cute. So... I've got my, we're recording at my house, and I've got my cat here, Pugsley. (laughs) Uh, You heard him before in a few episodes. He's the one that has the bell every now and then that likes the jingle. He cannot stand to be shut in a room. So we just can't lock him in the room. He will stick his paw under the door and shake it. Are you going to tell what they did? what he did last oh, night? Oh, last night, Courtney spent the night, so she slept on the couch. So we shut our door so <laughs> our cat wouldn't taunt her dog. And he just stuck his paw up under the door and started shaking it and shaking it and shaking it. It was rattling the door so loud. He did it for, it had to be was, 30, 45 minutes until we finally threw him in Jaden's room. <laughs> it was a long time. I while. couldn't stand it. Man, he's so bad. He cannot stand for a door to be shut. He's a nebelung. Uh, he is a nebelung. nebelung. He, it's a genetic mutation, I think, kind of like being a redhead or something. Hmm. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. It's kind of a new breed, but uh, yeah, somehow we got lucky and got a nebelung. 
He's a fluffy gray cat with a beautiful mane, kind of looks kind of like a Maine Coon. Yeah, he is almost blue. He's got like a silver tint to the tips of his hair on a blue coat. He's pretty. He is. He's an asshole. He is. He, he loves to go on car rides though and get pup cups, and he loves the pepperoni and begging strips. That's why I said that you guys need to get him a little service animal vest thing. So he is a companion take animal. Place. He is a companion animal. But he is definitely sweet as hell. He acts like a damn dog. He even drinks out of the toilet. It's crazy. (laughs) But uh, we took his collar off of him today so he could run around. And he has already torn down the curtains once. So we're going to see how this goes. (laughs) Hopefully he won't be too bad. He's in the kitchen now. I just saw him walk past. Oh, no. (laughs) He's so bad. He has to be in the middle of everything. He's like a toddler. It's cute, though, because he's chirping. Everywhere he goes, he's just, he's chirping. (laughs) It's cute. It's really cute. I'm waiting to see him come around and flying around the corner again. He'll probably take the curtain down with him. (laughs) And I do apologize if I sound a little, I don't know, uh, my voice still isn't back to 100% yet. Yeah, you're still not 100%, but you you definitely look like you're feeling better and sounding better. I feel better. It's just in my chest, and so it's hard for me to clearly talk. That's the time of year, too. Unfortunately, so, I apologize if the people listening to us, if I sound like I've been smoking a pack of Newports, you know, every hour on the hour, you know, <laughs> chain smoker. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've currently got a problem with my nose running. So that time of year, it's, it's, it's always so cold in the morning when I get up and go to work and then I start welding and I start sweating and then it's just, it's awful. So my nose has been runny and poor Tina's nose has been runny and stuffy and Sucks. it's just awful. But Sorry in advance for our voices. Yes. But we're going to pull through this. You're going to like our story, I'm sure. Courtney's got a story today for us. A true crime? Yes. A serial killer, actually. We haven't done a serial killer since the Bondurant Brothers. No, we haven't, have we? No, so it's still in the realm of true crime, but we're going serial killer today. Yes. And I didn't know anything about this guy until Tina came to me. And she said, I know that you were looking for a story. And I was listening to this episode, which she was listening. I think it was to um, um, Crime Junkie. Yeah, Crime Junkie. And so we listened to it. And I was interested just kind of like how the story played out in terms of how it all ended, you know? Yeah, and there's actually not a whole lot on this guy. It's like, really it's not. It's really hard to kind of find some shit on him, and everything kind of says the same thing, but... Uh, it contradicts itself, though. It, it does. But Parcast also did one on their Serial Killer series. Yes. So uh, we listened to it as well. I was trying to help find information on it. Yeah, because it was so contradictory. I didn't know where to start, you know, it, in terms of like timeline. It was and a everything. difficult one. It was a very difficult one. So we hope that you like the way this is done. Courtney and I put a lot of time into this one we as did. well. So hopefully this will work out and you like this this a lot. Please let us know what you feel about it. You know, because I think it'll be I think it'll be kind of like your last story for Sarah. Sarah yeah, Boone. yeah. I think it's pretty in depth on something that not everyone knows a lot about. So. And due to that, I guess, you know, if there are some discrepancies or if we say something that's wrong and you guys know something that is, you know, more factual or accurate, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, more accurate. Uh, And just throwing it out there, we are going to put a little disclaimer in the beginning of this one. This is not only dealing with murder, but it is also dealing with uh, child abductions and rape. Sexual assault. It's, uh... 
It's a bit dark. It is, and because it's based off mainly, or well, the children children are victims. Yes. It, it, if this is not for you, it's not going to hurt my feelings. As if, always, if you, you viewer know, discretion is advised. Definitely, for especially for this one. We but are I, not for all listeners. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> but I, um, we're going to plan to add a palate cleanser at the end. Yes. We're not exactly sure what palate cleanser will be, but you know, it'll be a surprise. You'll find out when we find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a. Um, what is it called? A uh, pick your own journey. Um, I can't think of the word. Oh, like those books you go through. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, yeah. yeah, turn to this page if you pick this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be one of those, whatever they're called. <laughs> we'll be one of those, whatever they're called. All right. So, Courtney, you want to jump on in to episode eight? Eight already? Eight. Wow. We're catching up. We're almost in the double digits. Wow. Almost two hands old. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of that, I just realized that I said, wow. And yeah. oh my gosh. And I promise this is the last tangent and then we'll get into this. But I have been called out on saying wow more than I would like to admit. And so. Not just by me or just by me? No, I think mom said something too. Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yay, mom. I might it's be all in good fun though. I got pointed out that I say absolutely a lot. Absolutely. And as I was editing, I was like, I absolutely do. Holy shit. <laughs> I absolutely So do. I actually cut a couple of them out and I still say it a ton. I never realized that you say that. Yeah, but all of us put podcasters have our own <laughs> flaws. Wow. I know absolutely. <laughs> some podcasters I've heard got criticized for talking over each other and interrupting. And I've heard people get criticized for their laugh. And I, you know, all kinds of stuff. I'm we all have our falls. I'm really surprised nobody said anything about my laugh because I know it's Your obnoxious. laugh is addictive. <laughs> what are you talking about? I love your laugh. I've always loved it. <laughs> you always made me feel like I was the funniest motherfucker in high school. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know that I can boost your self-confidence. <laughs> you always have. <laughs> But anyway, like I said, disclaimer again, has a lot of sexual assault, murder, bad things happening to children. So if this is not your cup of tea, look forward to next week. Or, you know, we can just go back through the beginning. I don't know, you know. You can skip this episode. We're, we're not gonna, not everyone's gonna like every episode we have. Yeah. I mean, I know okay. some people don't like their history. Some people love history. Some people don't like true crime. Most people love true crime. Now, that's a weird one. Yeah. But uh, most people, I guess, like the fucked up things. Um, you know, <laughs> this some, is definitely one of them. Some people don't like the cryptids and paranormals. Some people do. Um, I know some people like the zodiac signs. Yes. I don't see a bunch of connections, but I still love hearing about it. Well, I'm going to plead my case again today. I'm going to make it a point to try to explain why I feel the way I feel, you know, with certain things. And I might get off on a tangent about some of these, but... You normally do. You know. (laughs) I do too, though. So who are we talking about today? Today we are going to discuss Mr. Mac Ray Edwards. (laughs) I'm not following. (laughs) And they call him Mac the Knife. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one. Tina's looking at you like, what? Mac the knife. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's an old, old song. Uh, it's been done by Bobby Darin, Louis Armstrong, all kinds of people. <laughs> okay. It's a I, good one. I don't know it. <laughs> you should listen to it. I, I'll introduce you to good music in the past. 
You know, I have a very wide variety. Well, you know, Jaden says that I'm the one that has the best music taste. He does say you have the best music taste. But, you know, to be fair, Tina likes her metal and rock, and I like, well, classical, metal, rock, rap, pop. You name it. You name it. Jazz. You, I like it. I like everything. There's a little bit of country. And, You're like a jukebox. And I am like a jukebox. Uh, I actually, whenever I was in my 20s, people used to love whenever I came and set up speakers and played for like parties and stuff because I always had the best playlist for music. Uh, actually, a couple of my friends down the road still think I have the best music playlist. <laughs> If they only knew. Oh, I know. <laughs> but yeah, anyways. Anyway. So this is not Mac the Knife. No. Okay. Is, I mean, there's some parts that Mac does have a knife in the oh. story. So. Okay, well, Mac <laughs> Mac with a knife. Mac with a knife. All right. Mac with a knife, Ray Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> Mac with a knife, Ray Edwards. All right, so tell me about him. All right, so Mac with a knife, Ray Edwards was born. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to just call him Mac. Mac. Yeah. So, Mac was born on October 17th, 1918. All right. So, for our Zodiac sign people, since he was born on October 17th, he was a Libra. A Libra. So, what is a Libra main personality? They're, I don't, I don't want to say people pleasers. They're people people. Does that make sense? They're like, like social creatures. Yes. Yes. They like to they be. They like to look good in the social. In the limelight. Okay. Yes. That, and have that makes a little sense. And balance, which is why if you ever like look at their sign, that's like a scale because they try to find balance and everything. Okay. And so they kind of have shy qualities and then they have their social qualities. You we know? just had a Libra, didn't we? In the Sarah Boone case. We did. Oh, actually, just looking at George's birthday, his birthday was seven days before, like a whole week before Mac's birthday. Yeah. And many years later, because <laughs> he was born in 77 and Mac was born in 1918. 1918. 1918. Where was he born? In Montgomery County, Arkansas. Montgomery County, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he moved to Los Angeles, California in 1941, which this entire story that we're going to talk about is mainly in Los Angeles. Okay, so he's in Cali most of the time. The whole thing is based in California, but we'll move from like different parts, but it's all in LA County. It's all close to... Okay, I got you. I got you. So it's like... The general area of Los Angeles. Yes. In Cal- okay, I got you. Yes. Which, I mean, of course, as we keep going on, I'll say, like, this part of California or this county. Or of Los Angeles. Because Los Angeles is fucking huge. Yes. It's got many different, I don't know, sub-cities in it. Yeah, we can say that. Yeah, sub-cities. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know it's what almost the terminology like, is. I don't know, from... <laughs> From Ohio, I guess we would call them townships. That's what I was going to say. Maybe it's a township. That's exactly what I was going to say. So, yeah. But majority of this is, regardless, it's in California. So, he moved to Los Angeles in 1941. So, he was 20. He's about 20. 22, 21, 22. 21, 22. Okay. So I only say that because our next bullet we're going to go to. But anyway, in 1941, he was arrested for vagans- vagrancy. What's vagrancy? It's basically being arrested for being homeless. That's fucked up. Like, when you see the police arrest some, and I know people can't see me doing air quotations, but air quotations arrest somebody for being homeless, they get charged with vagrancy. And so... I mean, can they not just offer them a night in the jail if they would like it? That, that's a little fucked up. I don't think they can How do you going to arrest someone to, for not having a home? I, I mean, there's a lot of fucked up things. But. I mean, <laughs> look at the way America treats their veterans when they come back. Are you going to arrest them for not having a home after they defend their country? Which actually, he was in the military for a 
little bit. He was. He and was. So I mean, this this is yeah. This is one of those keeps going in modern day problems. Anyways, okay. So he got arrested for being homeless. Yes, and that was the only charge that he had. By the way, um, so nothing violent. Mm-mm, okay. No, just he didn't have a home and was trying to just survive oh, and well. was arrested. That's fucked. So in 1946. Mac married Mary Howe. Holy shit. Mac married Mary. Yes. Mac Miss married. Mary, Mac, 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 <laughs> all dressed in black, black. Okay. Okay. So Mac married Mary. Yes. Bet you can't say that three times fast. No, I'm not. I can't even say, <laughs> I can't even say for the purpose of trying to tell the story. I'm sorry. I totally forgot because that was so good. What year was that? 1946. It was only like five years after he moved to California. Yes, he was 29. Okay. okay. And her age is very... So he couldn't have been 21, 22. He had to have been like 23 or so. 40... Yeah. He would have had to have been 23 when he moved there, roughly. Okay. So, again... So our math was fucked. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he was, at least in 1946, we know he was 29. But Mary, her age varies. Some sources said that she was, what was it, like 14 or 15? I saw And then some of them say 17. And so we just went with 17 because it was more common. I couldn't but find an actual birthday for her. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find her I did her try obituary. to find some shit out for you, but I, I couldn't find her birthday. And again, unfortunately, a lot of this stuff is hard to find. Well, There's this nothing. was in the 1940s. True. It was before the digital age. True. <laughs> True. And so we're going to say she was 17, which that's... That's, that's a big difference. That's a that's, big difference. That's a good 12 years in between them. I mean, I'm not judging. I'm just saying that it's interesting. I mean, know? I know it was back a little further back in time. That's acceptable back then, but that's still a little... That's, that's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they became married, they adopted two children, a boy and a girl. Their information is... There's not much out there. Like, there's nothing on, like, their names. And, of course, because they're minors, you know, of course. Yeah, you you can't release minor information. So, for the purpose of this story, they adopted two kids, a boy and a girl. We kind of leave it at that with them. So, Mac, he was really focused on his image in the neighborhood and kind of, like, how he was wanting to be presented as a family man. And, again, again... going back to that Libra thing. Yes. Okay. And, as I had said... He never really had anything on his record except for, you know, being arrested for being homeless. And so, for the most part, everybody felt that he was just your normal, you know... Suburban Suburban man. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Suburban family man. Yes, exactly. His neighbors and his peers also just mainly reported that he was also not known to cuss or even drink. He was... Oh, so he was like real family man. Straight edge. Yes. All about the family, all about working and, you know, doing what he needed to do for his family and, you know, interact with the neighbors. And he was known to, you know, if you see him, just wave at you and say, hey, how are you today? That's what he's everybody thought of neighbor. him. Yeah. Oh, th- that Libra thing, trying to make sure he's got that good social front. He's like Mr. Rogers. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a way, I hate <laughs> yeah, to compare Mr. Rogers it. to this, but I mean. I get it. It's very straight edge. I, I hope Mr. Rogers didn't have a dark side to him. I don't want to think of that, though. Oh, I don't want to either. (laughs) Erase what I said. Erase, erase, erase. (laughs) (laughs) Delete. So in 1942, he joined the Army Corps or the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and was known to be a combat engineer where he was trained to use heavy equipment. And he joined after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And so he was like, oh, they need help. So I'm going to go ahead and go in for my my country. country. I got you. 
So between the years of 1950 and 1957, he lived in Pico Rivera as well as El Monte and Azusa, California. And this is also... That's all in the Los Angeles all, yes, area? Yes. Okay. Again, whenever, you know, I was talking about like townships. Yeah, or so it's all... Out. Okay, so it's all within, you know, 50, 100 miles of each other or some shit. Yeah. For seven or so years, he kept moving from each of these little, you know, townships within Los Angeles. Well, if he was in the military, that would make sense. Especially, I guess, being a combat engineer, he was actually working on, like, roads and construction, yes. like, uh, bridges, stuff they would need on the bases. I didn't ever My think My dad was that. actually a civil engineer, so he would help lay the runways and stuff for the Air Force. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, he probably did a lot on, like, backhoes and bulldozers and shit like that. He, yes, he does and say... And he would have to move around a lot to be able to keep moving to where the work is. Okay, true. I mean, you can't keep true. building a bridge in the same spot. <laughs> true. <laughs> so I guess that would make sense, moving around a lot. And I guess it would take about seven years to, you know, make everything up and running. It would. And I know being in the military in general, you typically move every two to four years. It's just something that happens. I grew up a military brat and it was awful. I never stayed in the same place more than three or four years. Hmm, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did, but I didn't. So in the 1950s, he joined the International Union of Operating Engineers. And this was as a equipment operator. And he was contracted through the California DOT. He had other agencies that he was working for. But while he was working for the California DOT, he, as we're going to, you know, spoiler alert, get into that he killed children and buried them within certain work sites. Under the highway and Under shit. the highway. And due to that, he was also known as the Caltrans killer. Like and California transportation? Yes. Okay. Because that was what he was working on, was making roadways for the California transportation. 50s and 60s, I guess that would be the big expansion boom they were having on, like, freeways and shit. Yes. That's going to kind of lead us into where we're going to begin our story in terms of his murders. Because it was all of it was 50s and ended in somewhere within, you know, the, the 60s as we're going to talk more about this. If I can find my spot again. So we're going through it as he went through it. Yes. Not as what we found out after he got caught. Yes. Okay. Because he does end up confessing on certain things. And we're kind of, we're going to talk about it through his actual timeline of timeline events. of events yes i was couldn't think of the word that i was looking for in june 20th of 1953 eight-year-old stella darlene nolan and stella grew up in compton california she disappeared while she was at a flea market where her mother had worked and this the flea market was located in norwalk california she was supposed to report back to her mom every hour on the hour because she was playing with a friend whose family also worked at the flea market. Oh, just hanging out while they worked. Yes, and so they would entertain themselves throughout I the day playing. I guess it would be hard to get a sitter. Yes. Like, you know, especially even nowadays is expensive. It's hard to do. But also within it being in the 50s, you could more or less have more freedom, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I, I guess then you could. Because she wasn't really, I mean, yes, kids going missing was a thing, but it wasn't as Prevalent, common yeah. yeah as it is today and so therefore stella's mom just had a rule you know go you can go play with your friend but every hour on the hour i need you to come back and you know just say hey i'm here everything's good you know me and my friend are still playing so between the hours of 8 p.m or 9 p.m stella was supposed to go back to her mom to you know of course report back and she didn't and so during that time her mom became worried and was telling everybody within the well, she probably immediately knew something was wrong yes because stella this was common this was common for or, sorry it was, it was common uncommon. for her to be there 
Yes, yes, yes. It was uncommon for her to not report to her mom. And so her mom became really nervous about what was going on. Again, like I said, this is repeated by Edwards or, his, or you know, from Max's point of view. So Edwards, he lived far enough from work that if a child went missing, nobody really suspected him. He was able to kind of have like two lives in a way. You know, at work, he was different from how he was at home. So he was traveling distance to this job he was working on. Yes. And at the time he was working on the Santa Ana freeway. And so he was known to be gone for long hours at a time. And on this particular night, his wife and his children were not at home. So he wasn't really expected to be back home by a certain time because he had nobody really waiting on him. So he was just like, you know, I'm just going to go out and And he had an opportunity. See what I can get into. So yes, he he, he had a golden opportunity. Uh, Okay. And so since he wasn't expected to be home by a certain time, he went to the flea market where Stella and her mom were at. He later confessed to kidnapping her, raping her, and strangling her to the point where he thought that she was no longer alive. And this all happened in his home in Azusa, California. So he kidnapped her from the flea Flea market market and and drove her her, like 20, 30 miles or whatever to his home. Yes. Proceeded to kill her or what he thought. That he had killed Strangled her. Strangled her until she stopped breathing, I yes. believe. Yes. She appeared to stop breathing, so he assumed that she was dead. He then took her body and threw it over a bridge in the Angeles National Forest and returned, I think, later that day or later that night, and she was still alive. He, of course, was shocked to find her alive because that's he assumed that she was dead. Y- yes, yes. And that's something else is that she... She was only eight. She's a baby. Yeah. She's little. I can't imagine. And under the understanding that, or he assumed that she had died. I think this was his first kill ever. I may be wrong. It's the first one he's confessed to. Yeah, so to our knowledge, this is the first one. And so he was surprised to see that she was sitting up on an embankment that was below from, you know, where she fell at. And where she was physically sitting at was 100 feet away from where he originally tossed her over the bridge. So she she crawled away from where she was tossed. Yes, and she made it 100 feet from... That is a tough-ass eight-year-old. It, it, she is. She really is. But unfortunately, he then grabbed her and stabbed her to death with a pocket knife and buried her eight feet under in another embankment near the Santa Ana Freeway, which is about 20 miles away from... From where he lived. That's, from that's where, where he, he lived. was working. Yes. That's the one that was being built. Yes. Damn. And he was able to kind of get away with it because nobody immediately suspected anything. They didn't think that she ran away. They thought, or, you know, they didn't really look into who could have done this. So whenever they went to go look into her disappearance, the first person that they went to was her birth mom. The one that was at the... That was at the flea market? Yeah. Actually, that's adopted I mean, she, mom. I thought that was her kid. It is, but they adopted her from another... And Stella's birth mom was unmarried. She wasn't able to more or less provide an adequate life for Stella. So therefore, her adoptive mom agreed to take Stella in, which I will say, when I say adopted, nothing was ever official. There wasn't any like official documentation saying that she was adopted. So these motherfuckers could have been charged with kidnapping. Yeah. That's risky. But I guess... Well, then again, I don't know, because I guess in the late 40s is when... Whenever she would have been pregnant, and you said she was unmarried. Yes, she was and she unmarried. Couldn't provide, and she couldn't provide. The family just decided to take her in as their own. I guess that was a little more common back in that day. They just played Still, it off. I'd probably do paperwork. Yeah, there was no legal paperwork for the adoption. So when this happened, the police, because, you know, after everything was explained to them, the police instantly was like, well, don't you think it was the birth mom that did it? Hmm. 
I mean, that would be a good thought. Maybe she took her back. But they started looking into it, and they immediately found out that there was really nothing because the mom didn't even live in the same state when this happened. She was in Texas. Oh. So there was no way that she could have done it. Really? Well, I mean, she could have, but, you know, they instantly looked at that and then found they, out. they well, didn't think it had anything to do with the birth mom. No. After they really looked into it and found out that she was in Texas, they dropped it. Oh, well, maybe the adoptive parents just got tired of taking care of her. No, I don't think so, because they had agreed to tell the mom that they were going to take this to their grave, acting like they were her birth parents. So, no, I don't think oh, that. Oh, so it was like secret, secret. Yes. Yeah. No one knew it wasn't their kid. Yeah, nobody knew. Oh, well, that's how I treat my kid, so. Exactly. He wasn't my birth kid, <laughs> but that's still my kid. Exactly. Okay, I get it. They they really cared about her then. Yes. So this case was the earliest, at least for Los Angeles, that had turned into a missing child slash cold case because nobody knew what was going on. Her case just went cold because they had no leads on anything. Everything they looked into was a dead end. But they still kept looking into it? Yes, her adopt, uh, at least her parents did. Her adoptive parents, and I'm sure bio mom did too, but the adoptive parents really, you know, looked everywhere, were hell bent on trying to find her. But she, it was just like she disappeared out of thin air and nobody could find her. There was no leads. And so, like I said, it went cold. But of course, you know, her family still tried to look for her, but they couldn't find anything. But And so, unfortunately, though, Stella's adopted mom ended up passing away without ever knowing what happened to Stella. She passed away in January 21st of 1959 at the age of 46. That sounds like heartache. Also, I was going to say, I really think that it was more or less grieving that caused her to pass away. That's awful. But unfortunately, she wasn't alive to hear Max's confession about what happened to Stella. Sure, which she just died never knowing. I don't know which is better in a way because, I mean, knowing <sighs> what happened to her. I think I would at least want to know an answer, even if it was a bad answer. True. I wouldn't necessarily want to know the torturous side of it, but I would want to know that they were gone. And I think the remaining family members, which, of course, there's not a lot of information on it, but her body was found, which we'll get to that in a little bit. Which is usually closure for the victim's family. Yes. Yeah, so they had some, we'll have to look at, you know, the silver lining here. And yeah. at least her body was found, which, like I said, we'll get to that in a little bit. So our next victims, as you notice, I just said victims. Our next victims, their names are Brenda Jo Howell and Donald Lee Baker. Howell, like Mary Howell? Yes. This was Mac's sister-in-law. So she was Mary's little sister. Okay. So Brenda was visiting Mary with her parents for the 4th of July weekend. Whenever it came time to go back home, Brenda told her family, you know, I don't want to go home. Instead, can I just stay here with my sister until the end of the summer? Her parents agreed to let her do it as long as she would go to a Bible camp. That sounds about right. (laughs) And so... Brenda was like, well, if I get to stay here, then sure, I'll go to the Bible camp. Like I said, and now bringing up Donald. And how old was she? She was 11. Okay. Um, so she was a little bit younger than her sister because she was married by this point. Uh, she was probably about I'll say, 25, Yeah, I was going to say in her 20s. Yeah. Late 20s, 20, middle late 20s. Middle late 20s, yeah. Okay, so she's got a good maybe 10, 15 years on her. Sure, should, yeah. But yes, so Brenda is 11 and her friend, who's Donald Lee Baker again, he is 13. Donald was the neighbor to Mary and Mac. Again, now whenever I say that again, I think of Miss Mary Mac again. How old was Donnie? He was 13. Okay, so he's about Brenda's age. Yes, yeah. They are two years apart. Did I do my math right? Yeah. Okay. This all happened in Azusa, California. Again, this is where Mac is currently staying at and living in. 
And so to kind of give a little bit of a backstory to the story, in a way, Donnie knew Mac, of course, because they were neighbors. And as I had said, Mac is known to be the family man in the neighborhood. And the so friendly neighbor waving at you. Yes, hey, how exactly. you doing? So Donnie trusted Mac. Again, this is based on Mac's confessions. He had later said that he had offered Don $7 to take Brenda on a bike ride. Why would he offer him money to take, him, take her on a bike ride? Mac offered Donnie $7 because it was known throughout the family that Brenda had a crush on Donnie, but she didn't know how to say that to him. And so Mac had the idea of, well, I'll just pay Donnie $7 to take Brenda out on, air quotations here, date on a bike ride throughout this trail that's close to the house. They were on the trail riding their bikes. And whenever they got to a certain spot within the trail, Mac approached them and motioned to Donnie to, hey, can you come here? And he more or less told Brenda, hey, just stay where you're at. I need to show Donnie something. So Donnie walks over there to whatever Mac is trying to... Just getting him alone? Yes, to try to show him interest. And when Donnie isn't paying attention, Mac reported that he began to beat Donnie with a rock and he ended up slicing his throat again with the pocket knife that he had. I'm assuming Brenda heard the commotion or heard something. So she approached Mac and he was distracted by what was going on and he panicked and she just saw him kill her crush. Yes. And so Brenda approached him and it scared him. He then attacked Brenda and killed her as well. Damn. He then left their bodies on what is called Mount Baldy Road. He had the bright idea to take the bodies one place and take the bike somewhere else because he's trying to create a story that they ran away together. Ran away together. So remember the family thing. Exactly. They got a thing. Okay, so puppy love. They ran off together. Yes, like some type of fantasized love story. Because also, which I, you know, I'll get back to the bikes in a minute. Brenda had, or it was reported that Brenda had said that she didn't want to go back to school. And so that also kind of bought into the story of them running away together. And she wanted to stay there because with she wanted to stay there to be with Donnie. Mac took Donnie's coat and the bicycles and dropped them in the Morris Reservoir, which is about 20 to 30 miles away from where the bodies were. And, you know, the trail that they were biking on. They were on that trail on the Morris Reservoir. So he left their bikes where they originally were, but dumped their body 20, 30 miles away. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Sorry. So he took them out of the equipment, literally made them look like they disappeared. Yes. And so the story of they were some type of, you know, lovers on a quest. I don't know, you know, but he sold it as they ran away together. Kind of like Romeo and Juliet type thing. That's what he tried to sell it So he killed his wife's sister? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think he planned to it. Donnie, yes. I do think, without a shadow of a doubt, he wanted to kill Donnie. But Brenda may not have been planned. Brenda was not in the equation. I don't feel like. That is crazy, though. How do you kill your wife's sister? How do you kill anybody? I I can't wrap my head around it. I don't know. But he plays it off well enough to kind of just make it seem like it's no big deal. That's fucked up. So in his confession to the LAPD, he said that after the killings in 1956, he claims that he didn't harm anybody else or any other child until 1968. Damn, that's a 12 year gap. Yes. For a serial killer, that's a long ass cooling off period. I don't believe him. Yeah, I don't think I believe him either. Which, you know, we'll get into that in a minute. But I don't, I, I can't say that I think that he just went 12 years without harming anybody. No, that's rough to try to believe that. And there's also no evidence, or no hard evidence, sorry, connecting him to any of these murders either. So we have to go off of what he said. That sucks. And you clearly can't believe the guy. 
no, no. I mean, which again, we'll get to later on that he tries to elaborate just to kind of make himself look a certain way, you know. But in 2005, new information had started to come to light thanks to investigators and mainly an investigation done by Vivian Flores. And she is also a detective of LAPD. She is in the cold case homicide unit. As well as Weston DeWalt, who is an author who actually ended up interviewing Mac's widow and some of the family members to another victim, which we're about to get into. And when in two- did he interview him? In 2006. Oh, so this was when it was still a cold case, like yes. way after. Yes, because they started investigating it. And Vivian and Weston, they didn't want to leave it cold because they felt like, you know, as we just said, there's no way that it just didn't add up that between well, I this mean, 12 people year want period. Answers. It's human nature to want to know answers. Yes. And, and these people deserve answers as well. They started looking again, like I said, around 2006, they started really looking into this. They started to see that a lot of kids dis- did disappear that met his, what's the word I'm looking for? M.O.? M.O., yes, yes. Mainly DeWalt or Weston did a lot of digging and he first made a connection between Mac and a boy named Tommy Bowman. And this was due to a story in the newspaper that was about Mac and it piqued the interest of Weston. And so, so he was able like, to do the connections. It's like a modern day web sleuth, only with newspapers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. See, we pay off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Weston said that Mac didn't really mention much about Tommy in his original confession to authorities. Weston went back to look at the police sketch of Tommy's abductor, and he compared it to witness statements. It happened to have a strong resemblance of Mac. Okay, so what what is the story of... Tommy Hat, like, okay, he kidnapped? Yes, well, it's funny that you asked that. We'll get into that. So Thomas Eldon Bowman, also, like I said, known as Tommy, he's eight years old from Redondo Beach, California. He was on a hiking trip with his dad, his brother, sister, uncles, and two cousins at, at what is called Arroyo Seco Trail, which is also above Devil's Gate Dam in Pasadena, California. And this all happened on March 23rd of 1957. Tommy wanted to race ahead of everybody when they were walking back to the car. He looked back at his family and he said, you know, I'm going to beat you. And he took off running. They were only less than a quarter of a mile away from the car. So the family was just like, whatever. Right. So they were just kind of like, okay, sure. Take off. Well, when the family walked around the corner of the trail, they noticed that Tommy was gone. He was not by the car. He was nowhere. Again, seemed like he just disappeared out of thin air. And, you know, I had noticed or mentioned that there was eyewitness statements. Two ladies had noticed a boy crying who resembled Tommy's description and he was followed by shortly behind him was followed behind a tall deeply tanned man so like he was crying because maybe he got lost or something or they they didn't really describe it they just said that Tommy was walking ahead of the the man and he was crying he was obviously upset and the man was more or less just kind of coaxing him to continue to walk and for some I mean the ladies didn't in a you know they didn't interact or interrupt anything they just kind of kept going just assuming a dad's having trouble with the son or something I'm yeah, sure yeah of course like I said the deeply tan man matched up the same description as Edwards or Mac. And he was never found again. Unfortunately, as you're going to see, not all of the victims we can find bodies on. We just more or less have to go off of what Mac says. That's always awful having to go off what someone says. So our next victim known as Bruce Kremen, who's six years old from Granada Hills in Los Angeles. He was on a camping trip with the YMCA at the San Gabriel Mountains. And he was there with at least other 80 other kids. And so there must have been adults around. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it's kind of like the typical, you know, like 4-H camp. That's what I would call it. Yeah. Like the equivalent to 4-H camp. 
So this happened on July 12th, 1960, and he was on a hike with four of the boys, and he couldn't keep up. That's what the other boys had said, that he was able, was not able to keep up with them. So he told them that he was just going to go back to the campsite, oh, and sure he was going to meet up with slow them. slow down. Yeah, yes. And you, so, you hate to be the pokey one that they all make fun of, so you don't want to make them wait on you. Just go ahead, I'll meet you back there. Yes, that's exactly what he did. Okay. And so he said that he was going to go back to the campsite, but he was never found. He The boys went back to the campsite, and he never showed up. So another child around this time, her name was Karen Lynn Tompkins. Damn, there's already a lot of kids. And this one and the last one were supposedly during his cooling off period. Yes. So they may not be connected to him, but it's likely they are. Again, because they just disappear out of thin air. It's it's his... It's odd. Yes. I, I just, I don't agree. But anyway, like I said, again, her name is Karen Lynn Tompkins and she's 11. And she's from Harbor Gateway, California. And on August 18th, nineteen. She was helping a teacher clean up after they were making arts and crafts at school. She started to walk home, which is about five blocks away from the school. From home to school is five blocks. And she was supposed to be at home around five o'clock p.m., but was never seen again. So she just went missing on her typical walk home? Yes. That's fucking crazy. Again, you know, this is the 60s, so it was not really taboo to Dude, walk. That, and so... That's really crazy for me. You know, whenever I was in uh, about fourth, fifth grade, about fifth grade, I used to walk home from school. I was only... Really? Yeah. I was only about maybe a quarter mile from the school. I lived in Murfreesboro at mm-hmm. the time. So, I mean, it was not a big city, but it wasn't tiny either. Yeah. But my mom worked about halfway between my school and where I lived, so, I mean, I would stop by and see her on my way home and then walk home and then I would have to call her as soon as I got to home. To let her know that you made it. So there were checkpoints, but this was also back in 2000. Yeah. So. It was still. It, it, I could see this being common, but that scares me at the same time because this is a common thing I would do. And, and you could have been. I could have been abducted just as easy. Yeah. Yeah, because same thing. I'm sure she had a checkpoint. I'm sure she had some type of system. I'm, you know? I'm sure there was something. I mean, granted, it wasn't as easy to get in touch with people as it is now. Yeah. But I'm sure that there was something, but she was just never seen again. Never again. Gone. Again, we're going to talk about another child. Her name is Ramona Price, and she is seven. She is from Santa Barbara, California. Her parents and her siblings were packing up from an old house that they were living in, and they were going to move to a new home. And this was in September 2nd of 1961. And Ramona decided that she was bored, and she was kind of like, well, you guys can keep on packing, you know. I think I'm just going to go on my own little adventure. <laughs> what seven-year-old wants to pack a house? <laughs> right. I get it. You right. want to go play. Exactly. And so she was like, you know, screw you guys in this packing. I'm going to the new house. I'm walking. Oh, okay. And that's exactly what her dad said. Was, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Like, Whatever. Just have, go have, have fun. Right. Again, dad thought she was joking. And he said that the last place that he saw her was literally physically walking out the door of her home. Assuming I'm sure that she was going to go play in the front yard or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, because again, he thought she was joking. So an eyewitness described seeing a girl who matched the same description as Ramona getting into a old model blue Plymouth, which another fun fact, I guess, was not really fun. Mac is known to have a various array of Plymouths throughout his years. And so... He was a Plymouth man. Yes. And so, ironically, it just ties into his motive is that, you know, this little girl was known to see, you know, getting into a blue Plymouth that may or may not have been Edward's car. At the time, Edward was known to frequent this area anyway because again he was working on a freeway oh, nearby where Ramona had lived at and he was literally like less than a mile away from where this had happened at the time so why was he 
so fucking close. Was like, was it just because he was at work? So he was staying with a friend's house who was less than a mile away from the job site that he was at. So that's why he was staying with a friend. Oh, I guess was... to cut back on travel and save some money on it's gas a... and shit. I mean, I've never been to California, but I've always heard that the traffic's a pain in the ass. So, I have you know. heard that. Especially if they're working on the roads, building the roads. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, I guess that would make sense. So he was just happened to be in the neighborhood, yeah. ironically. Yeah, just happened to be. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope you picked up all my sarcasm there. Oh, I did. The next one that we're going to talk about, her name was Dorothy Gail Brown. She was 11, and she was from Torrance, California. This is this makes me feel a certain type of way because it's my birthday. She disappeared on July 3rd of 1962. Of course, I wasn't born in 1962. I was about to say, but... <laughs> younger than me. I ain't that old. But, but it is July 3rd. July 3rd. The date that I was born. <laughs> she went on a bike ride near her home and just disappeared. She was found next day. Next day. Maybe this is why kids just don't ride bikes anymore like we used to in the 90s. Yeah, I remember riding my bike a lot in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe this is part of the reason bike aren't so popular yeah maybe maybe but uh again you know she was going on a bike ride near her home and she just randomly disappeared her body was found the next day in the ocean near the corona del mar she uh, she was naked and appeared to have been sexually assaulted and she appeared to have drowned this was only a few blocks away from where karen tompkins lived and it was less than a year later that that had happened karen tompkins that's the one who uh she disappeared walking home after school yes after yeah she was... So, this is close to time and location. Yes. Uh, that does Similar sound, place, similar time. That sounds pretty sketchy. They're too close to each other. They they are, and they're too similar. So, in 1968, Mac and his family moved to Silmar, California, which is also in L.A. Again, kind of like a township situation. His kids were teenagers by this point, and so he and his wife decided that they needed to spend more time at home to be with the kids. And so, construction for the freeway had began to slow down during this time. Because they were running out of stuff to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is years later. Yeah, this is, um... This is at least a decade later. No, that's about three decades later. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we did say 12 years, so... A uh, 12-year cool-down, supposedly. Cool down, yes. So, yeah, so there's a lot of freeways that I'm sure are already done. Yeah, so his job is kind of coming to a slow place now, and it's giving him less of a reason to be away from home or to have an excuse to go on a trip, which also gave him fewer chances to sneak out to try to duck a child or attack one. Yeah, because he does seem to be doing it at opportune times. Yes, when he just happens Not to just be going in the out area. hunting like some of these serial yes. killers. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily seek them out. It's just kind of like prime opportunities when the time hits yes if the circumstances are right for him yes and so at this time he was at least 50 and everyone again thought of him being the friendly neighborhood man you know the the nice family man you know that again just waves at Showing you and says hey how are you off. yes yes <laughs> Showing his labor <laughs> off <laughs> it's kind of crazy it makes me think gacy you know? Yeah! Like, he wasn't as out there as Gacy publicly. He wasn't, like, into all the shit that Gacy was into, being political and everything. Yes. Everyone looked at Gacy as this nice, friendly guy. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be the same thing. And then he has this dark, fucked-up side of him. Yes. That not even his family knows about. He That's- is very similar to Gacy whenever you put it in that term. That- That's crazy to me. 
So another victim of his by the name of Gary Rocha, he was 16, which is, to me, is, he's up in age compared to his normal compared, victims. Yeah, he seems you know? to be between the ages of like 7 and 12. I and, mean, there was a 13-year-old, Donnie. Yes. But he, he's pretty young yes. at this point. And so, again, I think this happened because this was not planned. I, I feel that this part for Gary was not planned because... Edwards said that he was there to find Gary's sister. He went to the house looking for Gary's sister, oh. but she wasn't at home. She was at a friend's house. So he had probably already stalked this out a little bit and knew that this chick was supposed to be here. Yes. And so on November 26th of 1968, Gary's body was found in his parents' bedroom. Um, Gary was the only one at home. He was dropped off at home after school around 3.30 that afternoon by one of his friends from school. And his mom was at work. Dad was at sea. I believe he worked on a ship, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, and his sister, as I said, was visiting a friend. The sister that was supposed to be home. The sister that was the supposed sister to be home. The sister that Mac was actually targeting. Yes. So he walked into the home again, expecting the sister, who, by the way, is 12 years old. So again, going for these young ones. Yes. So prior to Gary coming home, Edwards was already there. He was already in the home because he expected the sister to come home and not Gary. But as we said, he she, she Gary wasn't there. Gary came home, probably threw him for a loop. Yes. So it scared him. So as we've discovered, he doesn't do well whenever he's shocked yeah, or he kind of doesn't have out. a plan. So what he did instead was he forced Gary to go into his parents' bedroom and he shot him twice in the head. And police assumed that Gary was killed by a burglar because of just kind of how the crime scene was laid well, out. I mean, there would be no M.O. or anything. And so they think that Gary may have surprised the burglar, which resulted in him getting shot. Which technically, that is what happened. Yeah, kind of. But Edwards was it not wasn't there. wasn't for burglary. Yes, he was there to steal something, but it wasn't like items. He was there to take a child. Yeah. Another child that I want to discuss with you is Roger Dell Madison. Roger was 16. He was also from Silmar in Los Angeles. So in December 16th of 1968, Roger had gotten into a, an argument with his father because his father found him smoking cigarettes and it led to an argument. I've been there before. <laughs> I sit down and smoke a whole pack back to back. Roger was just like, you know, screw this. I'm not going to engage to this. And he got on his motorcycle and rode away from the house. Yeah, leaving the situation. Yeah. Typical 16-year-old. Yes. So he rode away on his motorcycle and ended up running into Edwards. Edwards lives five houses down away from where Rogers lived. So he encountered Edwards and was talking to him because he was a familiar face because Roger is a classmate with Edwards' son. Well, I guess that would make sense because he only lives a few houses down, so I guess... He and his son, about the same age, they'd go yes. to the same school. And again, Edwards is the friendly neighborhood family guy, so he didn't yeah, suspect anything. Yeah, I guess he anything. would just, yeah, hey. And okay. so Edwards somehow convinced Roger to go into a nearby orange grove. This is where he tricked him into agreeing to be tied up as kind of like a game that they were playing. And then he that stabbed him. like Gacy again. Handcuffs. Yes. It's fucking weird. I didn't think about that again either. But again, he tied him up saying that they were going to play some type of game. He ended up stabbing him to death and stabbed him in the chest and the throat several times and then decided to bury his body on the 23 freeway in Thousand Oaks, which was under the construction at the time led or, you know, that involved Edwards. That's fucked. That is a fucked up game. 
I want to know. No, I, I really I, don't I know. wonder. I do wonder how he convinced him to let him tie him up. I could <sighs> see him convincing him to go to an orange grove with him because he's the friendly neighbor and his... He may say that he needed you know, help on something. I don't know. Maybe. But I, I mean, too... Like, how do you involve a game in a, in a way of saying, hey, let's go check out this orange grove and, and then, then... let me tie you up. Let me tie you up. I, I agree. Two but and then two don't again, equal four. Gacy would do the, let me show you a trick. True. And then he would, like, take one arm and... Yeah. Yeah. Edwards had a history of using bulldozers. He had experience in that area. Oh, yeah, he'd been building freeways and shit. And so this is what he used to bury Roger's body. And Damn. after the word got out about Roger missing, Edwards even showed up and visited his parents and said how sorry he was that his son had ran, or that their son had ran away. Oh, because they thought that it was just because they had a fight. Yes. Damn. And so Edwards just walked up and was like, "I'm so sorry that your son ran away. It's you know that's, that's cold. so sad. That is cold. And knowing that he that's did it, bold too. Yeah. Yes." Which we will see as the story continues. His actions become more spontaneous, if that makes sense. He he does a lot of things that are out of the norm for him. Yeah. It seems like he's already changed a lot. True. That is true. Donald Allen Todd, which is 13, from Pacoima, California. In May 16th of 1969, Donald was headed off to try to make some money by mowing neighborhood lawns. And Edwards was passing by and stopped him with his car and convinced Donald to get in. Edwards took him to, again, a nearby orange grove. I don't know what is up with the orange grove. It is kind of fucking weird, but I guess in California, orange groves are probably pretty popular. I guess, are they like apple orchards for us or something? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I mean, California and uh, I believe Florida are the two major producers of oranges. oranges. Okay. So, again, took him to a nearby orange grove, and this is where he attempted to molest Donald. And somehow, he wasn't able to. Well, I mean, that's a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, sure. I mean, he... <laughs> sure. But he's going above his normal age group. Yeah, I don't understand. the other 16-year-old sounds like it was accident Not really accidental, but accidental in his mind. Yes, because he freaked out and he didn't know what yeah, to do. Yeah, it seemed like he wasn't going for a 16-year-old, but now he's going for a 16-year-old. I wonder if it was maybe because, of course, this is all hypothetical, that he kind of got the experience of what it was like to be around an older kid. Do you get where I'm going with this? Well, he's also in the in his fifties. He's in his fifties, and he's trying to molest the sixteen year old kid. I'm sure that kid's got some. Yeah, because the kid was probably like, "What the fuck?" You know, like Donald probably yeah. really was was like, "What? What are you doing?" So that was probably a real poor choice on his part. Which yeah, I would say most of his choices seem to be very poor. But beside the point, it's- this was. Not smart for him. So he wasn't able to molest Donald. And again, Edwards freaked out, didn't know what to do. Ended up shooting Donald five times. That sounds like he was angry. Yeah. Just to keep shooting him. Yeah, because that's, that's excessive. I mean, shooting it, somebody it is, is a, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> but the other kid, he had shot once in the head, once in the chest, I believe. Yes. Yes. So he's not overkilling with a gun. I mean, he's stabbing people multiple times, but this this is different. He's got rage there's yes and i guess it's again because he felt like he was overpowered he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do so he got pissed yes and so his body was later found by three kids at a bridge that oh this is like a few days later and it was about a mile and a half from where his home was at by some kids yes three kids three kids found them so when they found the body he only had a t-shirt on and the rest of his clothes was folded neatly on the bridge what the fuck? I don't understand the concept 
But, you know, also, no, in a way, maybe he did it as a kind of like a, he wanted them to see Donald in a certain way. You know, he wouldn't let him molest him, so he stripped him naked almost, you know, size of t-shirt. Stripped him of his dignity that way when he could. Yes. I I could see that. I mean, I might be wrong, but. That's fucked up, though. And then to take the time to neatly fold the rest of the clothes, Mm -hmm. that's. That's very pinpoint. It says something. It I does. I don't know what it says, yeah. but it says something. I was like, I don't know necessarily uh, know what, A sense of but... being in control, maybe. Uh, if you know anything about psychology and you may know the answer, please give us an idea of what you may think. Yeah. I think in a way, like I said, he had that element and aspect to be in control. So that's what he did. He seems to want to be in control. He wants people to think he's a certain social standard. He wants to be in control of that. And he wants to be in control of these situations he creates. Also, though, while I'm thinking about it, maybe he folded up the clothes in a way of kind of like showing sympathy because he might have regretted a little bit of like the excessiveness to it. Someone he had a relationship with. Yes. Okay, maybe. That's a, that's a good viewpoint. Possibility. So in 1969, the Edwards family decided to send their son off to military school. And Mac was having a lot of health difficulties at this time. And so it was making him, it was making it difficult for him to work because of the health problems that he was having. And so in 1970, he was hospitalized for an extended period of time. After he got out, he was able to try to attack another child. And uh, yeah, I guess if you have health problems and you're in the hospital for a while, you can't really kind of put him out of do what you want to do. And so the second that he got out, you know, he kind of was like, I need to do this. You know, he had that urge to... It had built up. Yes, and pent up anger. You know, I'm sure he was mad because he was in the hospital. And he was mad that out he could Out of control. Do it. Again, going to the control. Yes, he didn't have control over the situation, so he's pissed. And so he decided to, again, involve... He decided to again, you know, out there. And this time, though, a little different to what he usually did. He had an accomplice with him. He got a sidekick? <laughs> yeah, he got a sidekick. He's old, so he decided to get a sidekick? I feel like you're hinting at something from a previous conversation we had. <laughs> That's fucked up. But anyway, yeah, he decided to have an accomplice, and this accomplice was a 15-year-old boy. Because he's a minor, there's not much information on this 15-year-old. I'm glad there isn't, because I feel like at 15 years old, you're very vulnerable and very easily to manipulate. And as we have seen, Mac has a way of making that happen. Of, yeah, of he is very manipulative. He's able to get people to trust him. Yeah, so, I mean... I hope that this kid, I don't know what happened to him. I, I'm pretty sure he did spend some time in jail. Uh, that's the only thing is he went to juvenile. But uh, I hope he got yeah. the rehab he needed. And I hope he was able to learn from go into society and be a productive member. Let's hope. Let's hope. hope. We're going to put that out there in the yes. atmosphere. Yes. <laughs> so on March 6th of 1970, this was super stupid early in the morning, like at the butt crack of dawn <laughs> mac and the accomplice drove a camper to what used to be a neighbor of his known as the cohen family and they decided to stake out the house and wait for the parents to leave the home because again mac was familiar with this family he was familiar with kind of like their schedule their routine so he waited until the parents left so he decided to go inside because he knew that there were three girls in the home their names were valerie cindy and jan Valerie it wasn't was- Marcia, Cindy, and Jan? <laughs> no. Damn, there's a missed opportunity. <laughs> oh. Valerie was 12, Cindy was 13, and Jan was 14. Oh, they went back to back. Yeah. It is almost like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> That was kind of what enticed him to go into the home. But while he was in the home, he also decided to steal a coin collection and some other valuables that were in the home. But again, the main goal was for these three girls. He had this pent-up anger. Yes. 
The girls knew who he was, of course, because... I was an old neighbor. Again, friendly neighborhood man, you know. So the accomplice and Mac ambushed the ki- the girls. And, of course, like I said, the girls knew who they were. Or, or at least was. knew who he was. And he forced them to write a letter to their parents saying that they were going to run away. Then he forced the girls to go into the camper that he had put outside the house. And they drove towards San- the San Gabriel Mountains. So he kidnapped them. Yes. And so they drove the camper to the mountains that they were in. And he then pointed a gun at the girls and made them get out of the camper. He instructed Valerie to walk down to a storm drain that was nearby where the camper was. Valerie's the youngest one, right? Yes, she is 12. Okay. He instructed her to walk to the storm drain that was, like I said, below where they were at, below the camper. She started to, you know, act like she was listening to him at first. And then she just took off running. Jan saw this and was like, oh, shit. Well, I'm going to make a run for it, too. And she... Jan's the oldest one. Yes, Jan is 14. Jan decided to take off running in the opposite direction. That was smart. And ended up hiding in some nearby bushes that were in the woods where they were at. So Edwards and his accomplice began looking for Jan. And in the process of all this happening, Cindy also got away. He really bit off more than he could chew. (laughs) He really did. I'm glad he did. (laughs) (laughs) And so... These girls just made him look dumb. (laughs) (laughs) They really did. He He really did underestimate them. He really did. I really think that he thought that because he had an accomplice that he was able to... It was unstoppable. Make this happen. Yes. He got too cocky. Yes, yes, exactly. And so, again, he panicked, which, as we've said before, he he's does not, not good do well with this. He's not good in these situations. No, he's not. <laughs> he realizes that he couldn't catch them. He was just like, shit, they've all gotten away. Oh, yeah, he I can catch one, maybe two of them, but he couldn't catch at least all three. One, yes, at least one. You'd have to catch one and tie them up somehow and make sure they didn't get loose while you went after the third and your accomplice was getting the second. It was fucking and rough. He, he was screwed. Hell yeah. And so <laughs> he, you know... He knew that he could at least, as you said, catch one of them, but he knew that still one was going to get away regardless, and she was going to go back home or you know try to find access to a phone to call her parents and say uh, he was going to be caught. Yes, and he knew that he was he was fucked, and so he decided to get upset, and he and his accomplice walked into the woods and started yelling at the girls and saying that he was going to call the police and the police were going to be looking for them soon to kind of rescue them. He was still trying to control the situation. Yeah. So he told the girls that he was going to call the police and that the police were going to come looking for him. So, you know, again, he tried to make himself seem like he was a good guy. You know, if I was them, though, I I wouldn't trust that. Oh, I I would think it would be a ploy. I'd be still terrified. I agree. He knew that he was screwed. And so he then decided to get his accomplice and they drove into town where they walked into the LAPD's foothill station. He handed the police officer at the desk a loaded handgun and told them that this was the gun that he used to kill Donald Tom. Gary Rocha and also told them the location of where the three girls that he just attempted to kidnap and kill uh, where they could be found and he said that the girls were unharmed. So this motherfucker really controlled the situation and said you know what I'm about to be caught so I'm just gonna go turn myself in. I'm not gonna go on the run. I'm not going to let them say what the fuck they want about me. I'm going to try to turn this around so I can control it. Yes, because again, as we're also going to talk here in a minute, he wants to maintain, again, a certain image because a Libra. of also, <laughs> because of also what social media, uh, sorry, shit. It ain't social media back in this day. 
<laughs> he That's was, just the media. He was trying to maintain <laughs> an image of what the media had said. And he felt that it was important to maintain that image. So he, again, you know, as you said, for control aspects, he was just like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, this is what happened. I'm the person who did this murder, this murder, and this murder. And also you're going to find three girls in this certain area because I'm the one who took them there. This is so odd. This is, again, so much like Gacy controlling the situation and how people see him. Yes, yes, because he does not want to be seen as a negative person. Regardless if he killed them, he's still I've done all these horrible things to these kids, but I'm not a bad person. Yes, and I'm not a bad person because I'm telling you that I did it. What the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> he then said that there were, you know, more things that he would like to discuss with them. And he later on confessed to the murders of Stella Nolan, Brenda Howe, Donald Baker, Gary Rocha, Roger Madison, and Donald Todd. So he was going to get busted for these three girls and he turned himself in on everything? Every single person, yes. Why in the fuck would he... That's fucking crazy. You could have gotten away with that shit. Well, he claims that he turned himself in because... He said, I quote, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. It was beginning to affect my work. I work as a heavy equipment operator. That grader I was using cost a lot of money, $200,000. I might wreck it or turn it over and hurt somebody, end quote. So he again is trying to look like, oh, I can't hurt somebody. This was getting to me. I could have hurt somebody at work. But fuck the kids that he fucking killed? Yes, Yes. This guy don't make any goddamn sense. Because at work, as I said, he was seen as like the blue collar, you know, family man who did no wrong. Mr. Suburban. Because remember, the only thing he had on his record was for being arrested when he was homeless. That is fucking crazy. And so that's how he was able to get away with it because he wasn't in the system for anything else. That is crazy. Nothing. And this entire time, he maintained the neighborhood family man, you know, that everybody began to love. And he, again, you know, trying to maintain that composure and that image, he decided that he was going to lead investigators to the bodies of certain victims. Not all, certain victims. He let, they uh, he attempted to leave them to Roger's body, but he was unable to be recovered from the freeway. And this happened in 1970 that, you know, this initial... It, Is this because the freeway had just been built? Yes. So they didn't want to dig it up. They didn't want to dig it up and mess up the freeway because they just had built and it. And it was a guess. Yes, and they didn't know for sure. So, fast forward to 2008, investigators again attempted to try to, like, you know, solve the cold case and tried to look for Roger's body. the body. Yes, and so they used detection dogs and machines to kind of narrow down the location of where it was because the dogs picked up a scent first, and then they took the machines to look for, kind of like to narrow it down a little bit more. And they got, like, sonar machines. You can run over an area, and the waves will show, like, an abnormality in the ground. and so it showed like a pit or something where a cavity that's it a yes. cavity where a body could have been and so that's exactly what it popped up they narrowed it down using the sonar machines but that's basically as far as they got because they would not dig up the body because again the freeway they didn't want to mess up the money. freeway they don't want to spend the money and shut down the freeway to dig up a possibility of a body yes that is so fucked up man give Give this kid what he deserves. I agree, but they they didn't. They still haven't. That's fucked up. It's ridiculous. So, Mac was only charged for the bodies that were found, leaving him with only three murder charges. Because, as we listed, we had went over, he admitted to originally six. He admitted to six and only three bodies were found? Yes. Who were those bodies again? 
Stella, her body was found. Gary's body was found. Gary Rocha. Gary Rocha, yes, his body was found. And Donald Allen Todd, his body was found. Okay, so they were the three bodies found. Yes. He confessed to the murder of... So he confessed to Brenda, Donald, and Roger. Brenda Howell. Donald Baker. Donald Baker, because there's two Donalds. There's yes. Donald Baker with Brenda. Yes. And then there was Donald Todd, which was the kid that was off to make some money mowing lawns. Mowing lawns, okay. yes. Yes. So he confessed to Brenda Joe Howell and Donald Lee Baker, and then he had also confessed to Roger Dale Madison. Okay. Which was the one that he accidentally shot. Yes. Waiting on the sister. Yes. And he pled to these murder charges, hoping that he wouldn't have to go to trial because he was wanting to just be found guilty and be done with it. So he didn't, he just didn't want to try. He didn't want to have anything public. He was just like, hey, I'm telling you this because I don't want a trial. I'm pleading guilty. Yes. And be done with it. But he, it, Does he know that's not how that works? He later found that out because his attorney wouldn't let him do it. And also the pro, uh, prosecutors were wanting to seek the death penalty. Well, if you seek the death penalty... You definitely have to have a trial. Yes. You cannot get the death penalty without a trial. And there was a trial. Because, um, as you said, you kind of have to have a trial. No matter what the plea is, we have to look into this. Edwards didn't want that happening because of his image. So, due to that, he attempted suicide twice while in the jail, trying to delay the trial from happening. Well, probably not trying to delay the trial from happening. Probably just trying to kill himself so he wouldn't have to go. I guess because he was still found not but guilty. But it did delay the trial. But it did delay the trial, yes. And so his first attempt at suicide was on March 30th of 1970. He attempted to slash his stomach open with... His stomach? Yes. With razor blades. His stomach? You gonna slash your stomach open? Like, I know people say, you know, you cut up, not across, on your wrist, whatever, to kill yourself. But I've never heard cutting your stomach. He slashed his stomach open with razor blades. Was he really trying to kill himself? Wouldn't I, you go for, like, the jugular or something? You would think. Uh. But literally, like, two months later, his second attempt occurred on May 7th of 1970. Shit, that ain't even two months. That's March, a little April. over a month. March, April, May. Well, yeah. It's the end of March and beginning of May. True. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, not even really a month, as you said. Um, He attempted to overdose by taking tranquilizers. Oh, he tried to go to sleep and never wake up. Yes. When the trial finally happened, he tried to instruct his lawyer to request the, de- the death penalty, and the lawyer disregarded it and tried to prove Edwards is innocent. He just really took what the client wanted and threw it out the window. Yes. <laughs> but regardless... Edwards was found guilty and sentenced to death in May of 1970. What was this defender thinking? He admitted to the shit. I I hope this defender didn't stay in practice long. There uh, again, there's not that much information. Oh my god, I don't even know the defender's name. I don't either. That is fucking crazy, though. Like the guy admitted to it, and you're going to try to get him off innocent. He tried. Fucking idiot. Before he was transferred to San Quentin, he bragged to a guard that he actually killed 18 children. But he wouldn't tell the proper authorities because, quote, they said bad things about me in court. Oh my god. So he's saying that he actually killed like three times what he admitted to. Yes. But he's not going to tell the right people to get charged with it because they They said bad things about him. They mean things. They hurt his image. Oh my God. Hurt his feelings. So he wasn't going to tell them. But he's going to tell a guard. 
He was put on death row while staying in San Quentin for over a year. During this time, he decided to write a letter to his wife, trying to minimalize his actions and, of course, you know, again, uphold that image. Yeah. But during this time, he also possibly admitted to abducting Tommy Bowman, which Tommy was the boy who ran away. Yeah, the one in the woods with the family outing on the hike. Yes. Edward says, quote, I was going to add one more to the first statement. And that was the Tommy Bowman boy that disappeared in Pasadena. But I felt I would really make a mess of that one. So I left him out of it. How in the fuck would he make a mess out of it? I think, again, he didn't want to seem that he was the type of person that he really was. That is fucking crazy. And that's one he really couldn't get out of. Yeah. Yes, because again, this was the one with all the eyewitnesses and all the things that he met the description. and Yes, people actually saw him. Yes. The others, he could say what he wanted because people didn't see him. Yes. I got you. Because the people, you know, the eyewitnesses clearly said that they saw Tommy, Tommy crying. Following Tommy was a man that was a very tan man, which... If it hits description. It hits. And then the police sketch also looked like him. Yes. Yeah, we found that out later on. And like he years, was... Years, years later. And he ended up, you know, being tan because he worked on construction sites all I the mean, time. I mean, that would make sense. I have never seen anyone working on Department of Transportation who isn't tan. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, he also went on to tell his wife, Mary, that he had actually only murdered one child and that he took the fall for a friend named, quote, Billy the Cripple, end quote. <laughs> so he's pinning this on some cripple guy that's yes. supposedly his friend. And I believe I remember hearing the child he admitted to murdering was Mary's sister, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Brenda Joe, Brenda yes. Joe Howe. Yeah, and he said that, you know, he only just really happened to murder only one child, supposedly, but it was to take the fall for Billy. Billy supposedly murdered the other five children, but of course Mary didn't believe him. Yeah, I wouldn't believe him either. So to wrap this up, Edwards ended up dying by suicide in San Quentin on October 30th of 1971 by hanging himself with an electrical cord that was used for the te- TV in his cell. That is so fucked up. He still got out easy. Yeah, because he didn't really have to face due trial. He didn't have to do anything. No, he did go through trial. I mean, he was sentenced to death. He didn't get to do the full repercussions. But yeah, he he didn't have to sit on death row for tons of years. Again, he was in control. He was in control. That's fucked up. He took control of how the whole situation went about, how he caused all of it. And, you know, because the girls ran away was the only reason why he freaked out. But again, he was in control of that because he turned himself in. Well, he and tried admitted. to be in control of that. Well, he, but so he regardless. He he was in control of all this. Yes. But y- yeah, yeah, he thinks that he was in, in control In his of mind, it. he was. And that's all that matters. That is so fucked up. <laughs> What's more fucked up is I can't believe they're not digging these bodies up. They don't want to mess up the freeway. Quit being cheap asses and give these people what they deserve. I agree because there's hardcore proof that the dogs literally sniffed it up and then the sonar, you know, technology picked it up. Look, I understand it it hurts business, whatever. Shut part of the freeway down. You got plenty of lanes on that thing. It's an inconvenience. It is an inconvenience. That's the problem with a lot of the world. It's not just America. True. If anything inconveniences us, that's it. What happened to people helping others out? I missed that. It died with all the rest of the times that we had. It must have. (laughs) (laughs) So, as promised, since we've went through all this jumbled, very sad story of what has happened. Oh, wait, there's another tidbit. What is the other tidbit? There has been 
reports we heard on Crime Junkie, I have not been able to find any hardcore evidence. Oh, you're talking about... But... The, go ahead. A little interesting fact, possible fact, I, I don't know for sure if it's a fact, but we have heard that uh, back in that day, back in the 70s and stuff, Los Angeles would actually take the missing kid reports... And burn them. And burn them after they turned 18. This was found out by, I believe, DeWalt. Yes. Whenever he was trying to investigate some of the old cold cases. Yes, supposedly that's what was said, but as you and I but said, But I could not find it. any hard information on that, unfortunately. Maybe fortunately, maybe it is just a rumor. But yeah. I would feel like he wouldn't just say that. I, I agree. He seems very dedicated to trying to solve these cases. I agree. I completely agree. Still, it's very unfortunate and messed up. And I think that this case needs to be talked about more so we could advocate for the victims. I think it does. Because, I mean, it's like any other case, but you know that the possibility of having a body is right here. Just dig it up, give the family closure, and stop being lazy about it. Do what's right. Point blank in a story. So, you've got a palate cleanser? I do. So since our story is based in California, I wanted to look up some fun facts about California. I'm fine. So the first one that I found is California is actually home to the avocado capital of the world. Really? And every year... I mean, I guess I could see that. I'm, I would think Mexico, honestly. But... I, did too, uh, I would think Mexico, too. But it's actually California. And Fallbrook, California, holds an annual avocado festival to celebrate being the biggest capital of the world Ooh. for avocados. I wonder if they have some good guacamole for that festival. They I better. like some guacamole. You know, I used to work at Chipotle, so... I make guacamole just like Chipotle does, and it's good as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I can eat, like, ten avocados at once in that guacamole. Jesus. I love it. Well, actually, you you know the Hollywood sign, right? You Mm -hmm. remember the one they changed to Hollyweed? Hollyweed. You remember that? (laughs) That was, uh... Oh, God, that was like 10 years ago now, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they, they changed Hollywood. They put black on the O's and made it say Hollyweed. Hollyweed. They did. <laughs> but uh, it didn't always say Hollywood or Hollyweed. <laughs> it actually said Hollywood Land. Hollywood Land. Yeah, it was originally Hollywood Land, and it was 4,020-watt bulbs that illuminated the sign. And That's a lot. It is, and over decades, the sign just fell into complete disrepair. So, in 1949, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce removed the last four letters and restored it. Wow. Despite its uh, restoration, it began to deteriorate again, and by the 1970s, it was just an absolute wreck. So they actually decided to tear it down completely. However, Hugh Hefner, in 1978, you know, Hugh Hefner, right? You know, Playboy? (laughs) Yeah. He stepped in and raised the funds to rebuild the sign and preserve the iconic landmark. So it's actually still there because of old Hugh Hefner. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks, Captain. <laughs> I think you found a weird law, didn't you? I, I found did. I found a weird law, too. So we're going to go over two weird-ass laws that we found. So the one that I found, and I'm going to really try to say this and not laugh. Oh, it's so perfect for you, too. Shut up! <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> oh, man. So... The law is that it is a crime in Los Angeles to do it doggy style. And when I say do it doggy style, I mean literally 
dogs. The law <laughs> only applies to dogs who happen to be mating within 500 yards of a church. <laughs> what? And the act is punishable by a fine of $500 or six months in prison. Do they arrest the dog and find the dog or the owner? <laughs> I think it's the owner. Well, I mean, what are you gonna do if your dog <laughs> is off trying to get some by a church? I guess. No, 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 not here. <laughs> we need to go about 10 feet away if you want to fuck this yeah, bitch. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, my law that I found was that there's actually a law against licking frogs. <laughs> what? Yes. It came into power after some teenagers in Los Angeles found out that a certain type of toad skin contains hallucinogens. Oh, my God. Do you remember that Family Guy episode <laughs> when Chris and Meg were yes. the toad licking? Chris was addicted to licking toads. <laughs> Yes. yes. It's an actual thing. Family Guy was really doing something there. It wasn't just a joke. That really fucking happened. So due to that, LA actually had a law come out against it. I don't know what the fines are. I don't know what it's punishable by, but you can't lick frogs. Or do a doggy style. Or do a doggy style. So make sure if you go visit the West Coast. You're not within 500 yards of a church. If you have a dog that's horny. (laughs) And don't don't lick toads. And don't lick a toad. Or frogs, I guess. (laughs) But enjoy the avocado. Yes, definitely enjoy the avocado. And take a look at the Hollywood sign. Hollyweed. Hollyweed, because thanks to Hugh Hefner, it's still there. If you guys can hear my dog barking, I sincerely apologize. He's getting antsy. But it's a long episode. He's been locked up, so he can't tear the set down. So with that being said, guys, I guess we're going to close this out and watch your dogs within 500 yards. Don't lick any toads. And And, uh, be safe on your travels and eat lots of avocado. Yay. Yay. Bye, guys. See ya. All research is done by Shelby Hudgens, Courtney Pylon, and Tina Collins. A special thanks to Tina Collins for managing us, and we are a lot to manage. All social media is linked in the description below. Be sure to follow us, and don't forget to leave a rating on wherever you get your podcast. If you have an interesting topic that you'd like to hear on our podcast, please email it to allthingsmacabre.pod at gmail.com. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E. Did this episode make you say, What the fuck? The shark babe has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly whites. Y'all know that song? No. <laughs> and someone sneaking round the corner. Could that be someone? Be Mac the Knife. I do not know this song. Oh, well.